Welcome into the 210th episode of the Young Terps podcast from the Viner 48 studio. And this is your host, Mason Viner. And today we bring back one of the traditions of the Young Terps podcast, the non-rev report. Of course, we'll get to Maryland football's 34-27 win over SMU from Saturday night. But we'll start it off like we used to on the show with the non-rev report. And giving that to us is my man Todd Carton, who was out there uh, at the old line tailgate and all the other ones we go to on Saturday. Todd, uh, it was a good time in College Park. It surely was, uh, Mason. You know, I mean, Ben Page has a great thing going out there and brings a lot of people to the the, the games and certainly worth uh, supporting and always has has uh, good food. And this past weekend was, was fabulous. He had the pizza oven and really had it rocking on and lacrosse and, and baseball were right in the same neighborhood. So we got to see a lot of uh, Terp athletes. Yeah. A lot of Terps around and, and you know, those night games bring a lot of people out and, and Todd, you mentioned it, the pizza oven that Ben does yearly tradition for the old line tailgating club. Always, always a great time with Ben page and the gang uh, non revs. Uh, what a weekend to be a Maryland fan, Todd. What a weekend to be a Maryland fan. You know, I have to say, Mason, that that I thought about putting up a tweet or something to uh, commemorate this, that Maryland, that Maryland's non-revenue are actually including football. Maryland athletics went seven and0 this weekend past weekend. And, you know, I don't think that any other athletic department in the country could have claimed an undefeated weekend, but I hesitated because our cross country team finished third at Navy and I didn't want to be called out, but that's not really cross country is not really something that gets recorded as a win or a loss. It's your, it's just where you finish. And they certainly didn't finish first, but thirds are respectable showing, but everybody else, we uh, Maryland swept the board. Yeah. The Terps win it. And we'll start it off with volleyball, a three and O weekend uh, for the Terps on the court. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they they started off with uh, two matches on Friday, beating Mercer and East Carolina. And that was a pattern that they'd had in the first uh, three weeks of the season prior to that. They would play two matches on Friday, win them, then they'd go into the Saturday match and somehow uh, drop that Saturday match. This week they were, this weekend passed, they were at UVA and they swept UVA, who came in as a hot team also with a pretty solid record, and they finished the season winning seven straight sets, sweeping ECU and UVA 3 nothing, and, of course, winning the last set against Mercer. So a uh, really good weekend there for Maryland to getting ready as they go into Big Ten play coming up this uh, Friday. Yeah, and that's always the point uh, that seems like this team gets to, is what is what comes of the challenge that Big Ten play brings up and uh, the Terps – they start, is it on the road against Illinois, or are they hosting that one? Then they'll take on uh, Indiana. Okay, so they, they start on the road at Illinois, uh, who's ranked 25th in the poll that came out last week. But Illinois had a kind of a rough weekend. They were 2-1, and one, maybe 1-2, one and two, I'm not sure. I, I suspect they will drop out of the poll this weekend. Uh, but they are the sort of team that if Maryland wants to make some noise in the conference and finish in that top eight, finish 10 and 10 uh, and make the NCAA tournament, this is the sort of team they really need to beat. Uh, they do play them at home as well. 
so they'll have two chances, but to start with a road win would, would be a terrific start for uh, Maryland. And I uh, do have to mention that Raynell Jones uh, was named the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week this week. She is moved into second place all time in career blocks. Uh, and first in block assists. So she has about 28 blocks on the season to pass Rachel Wagner, who was the Terps all-time leader in in blocking. And then you mentioned that they will play Indiana at home on uh, Sunday at a one o'clock. So hopefully they'll pack the PAV and uh, we'll be able to s- catch up with Steve Aird again. And the Terps have had some luck against uh, their former coach, Steve Aird. So volleyball yeah, marches on into the teeth of their schedule. Todd, you're known as the field hockey fan, and it's a fun team to watch this year. Maryland ranked number three in the country. And, of course, just like on the lacrosse field, uh, they play anybody in field hockey, and they got one coming up, is it tomorrow, uh, against the number eight Princeton Tigers. That's correct. And they'll be at Princeton. So, uh, yeah, they do. This is Maryland. Maryland uh, beat Ohio State four to two last Friday. Ohio State was ranked 23rd in the country at the time. And they went into the fourth quarter trailing two to one, but scored three straight to pick up a win there. And of course, the presence of Maryland is is one of the places where Maryland has actually lifted the Big Ten in that uh, if you looked at the previous poll, again, probably won't get a new poll there till Wednesday. The Big Ten had the defending national champion in Northwestern, and they're still ranked number one in the country. But Maryland at three, and then uh, Michigan, uh, uh, I think Penn State and Iowa at five, six, and seven in some order or another, with Rutgers at 19 and Ohio State at 23. So it's one heck of a conference. And the, the win over Ohio State was Maryland's fourth win in seven games over a ranked opponent. So they play, as you said, at uh, Princeton. Uh, and um, that that will be their fifth ranked opponent in eight games. Yeah, you don't get much better than that. Five don't get much, op- much better. Yeah, and, and people will be able to watch that one on ESPN+. Plus. Um, same thing with volleyball. I should have mentioned that'll be with the Illinois match and the Indiana match will both be on Big Ten Plus if you're a subscriber to that service. Yeah, the Ivy League puts on a good show. I've, I've run into them in my ESPN uh, Plus stops. They, they do a good job getting, I mean, every single sporting events on ESPN Plus for the Ivy League schools. That's, that's one of the perks I think of ESPN Plus around the country as they've gotten made it so easy for the schools to broadcast games. Uh, Todd Terps men's soccer team marching on off to a 4-1-1 and start, and uh, they enter Big Ten play. The crew's calling for a big uh, show tomorrow night when Maryland uh, takes on Penn State. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, there's a little promotion going on, a free Lido's pizza to the first 200 people who come to the game tomorrow. Penn State, of course, is the defending conference champ. Um, they were, uh, they, they're coming off a win against Wisconsin. Their one loss so far this year has been to, Clem, uh, to Syracuse, who upset number one Clemson this past week down at Clemson. So uh, that's, a, that's a huge game. For, for Maryland, it will be on the, the Daddy Network, um, on Big Ten, on the Big Ten Network. And, of course, Maryland started off last Friday winning at Michigan, a 2-1 to one, 
uh, win there. And they seem to have, the Terps seem to have found their footing, I, I would say, after kind of disappointing tie with Liberty and then the loss to Denver. Then they came back and played down at Audi Field and just ripped the guts out of Virginia. And then they want, had a big win at Georgetown and, of course, the win at Michigan. So the Terps are starting off the conference season on a, on a good note. Todd, are you going to be one of those uh, first 200 people out there? I'll be out there for sure. Whether I'll be in one of the first 200 uh, is is a is an open question, Mason. I I like Lido Pizza, and you know there's a Lido's just up the street from where I live, so it's certainly a temptation. It is. That should get. Uh, I don't think they need to be giving out free pizza to get people to go to Maryland soccer games. No, I I don't, and and I think we're we're. Uh, recording this at about uh, 5.30 or 6 o'clock Monday, and I think the Big Ten Network has a Maryland soccer uh, special on tonight at 7 o'clock. Yes, Sebastian Elney. Yes, Sebastian Elney. It's either on tonight or it's on Friday night. Um, It's about Sebastian Elney's game winners against UCLA, possibly the most electric game I've been to at at Ludwig. Uh, Elney's goal against the Bruins – was it last second or was it in overtime? Well, he he had he had one one he did it twice. He actually did it twice. Uh, I think uh, two years apart, and and one was certainly in overtime, and they may have both been in overtime. I think they were both in overtime. Yeah, they were both in in an in an overtime situation because he was able to just throw himself into the crowd at uh, into the into the uh, into the crew. Yeah, if in he, did a, fans, he you, did a Ludwig leap. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't gotten a chance to go to Ludwig, the the support that Maryland soccer gets from their student fan group, the crew that we've been talking about, is just extraordinary. They're simply the best fan contingent that Maryland sports has across the board. And they traveled. And they were out that Audi Field in the pouring rain. They were out at Georgetown. Uh, Georgetown tried to stick them in the corner, but they you just you can't contain the crew, Todd. You just can't do it. <laughs> no, I think they, that they can't contain the crew. And and not only the best, uh, probably the best soccer fan group in the country. Uh, Georgetown tried to, to imitate the crew. In fact, they, they sent Maryland uh, women played them earlier in the year, and Georgetown sent a handful of fans out. And the crew has started attending Maryland women's soccer as well. I think they're excited with the new coach, Meg Ryan Nemzer, and uh, and the the Georgetown little little group just got obliterated by the fans from the crew that were there. You know, when the mighty sound of Maryland used to start mar- marching uh, at the football games, they used to say often imitated, never duplicated. The mighty sound of Maryland is not what should, they should be talking about when they say that. It should be something like the crew. Um, yeah. But but I'll leave the band alone. I'm a pro I'm a pro Maryland band guy. But I'll, I'll leave the band alone. Todd, last uh, sport on the list: women's soccer. You just mentioned her, uh, Meg Ryan Nimser, the coach, and she's got the team off to a better start than than they had last year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, it's a unique situation this year, Mason, in that the, the NCAA has decided to do away with overtimes. Uh, in the regular season in uh, both in non any non-conference and conference games. So Maryland actually started the season with four consecutive 1-1 ties. 
Uh, and their record right now, they're sitting at two wins, one loss, and five ties. And their one loss was to a pretty good Wake Forest team, which uh, was a one to nothing game. And, and I think last year was a game they probably would have lost three to nothing. And of course, they beat Michigan on Friday, uh, one to nothing. And tell, tell, why don't you tell for the folks, Mason, how long had it been since Maryland uh, had had a Big Ten win? Todd, you're testing my pre-show memory now. What was it? Um, was it 2019? October 24th, 2019. Yeah, I got it right. You see? I got it right. I was listening to you there, before the show. There you go. Yeah, they had they had a couple of ties in the COVID season. I think they were 09 and 2 or 010 and 2 or something like that. They were 0 7 and 3 last season in conference play. And, um, you know, so to, to get it's the first time they've ever beaten Michigan. Uh, so that it was a big win both to get started in the Big Ten season and uh, just to, to give the team some confidence. They'll host Illinois Thursday night at seven o'clock and that'll end a six game homestand. Uh, Illinois is a, a solid team. They lost to Michigan State. So they're 0-1 in the in conference and uh, five, but 5-3-1 and one overall, so they're, they're uh, reasonably one of the better teams in the Big Ten. And then Maryland will, I think, be brought down a little bit to reality when they go and face the team that Meg Ryan played for and was an assistant coach, which who's Rutgers. And Rutgers is, as of the current poll, ranked number four in the country and uh, probably moving up because UVA upset uh, North Carolina, who was number two. So Rutgers could move up when the new poll comes out as well. All right, Todd. Well, that wraps up the non-rev report. Uh, I'll give you 30 seconds to throw out the stat that you gave me before we start on the Terps football team. Yeah, it was just really interesting. And I, I was leaving the game, uh, the great win Saturday night against SMU. And I was thinking Maryland's 3-0 and right now. They finished 7-6. and uh, last year, which makes them over the last 10 games, 10 and six. And I can't remember the last time you could look for any stretch of 16 games, given that their kind of their best record was seven and six under Etzel. Um, I think you might have to go back to 2010 when they actually won a 10 get, had 10 wins to get a stretch where Maryland was 10 and six over a, a 16 game span. So it's just kind of a different way of thinking about Terps football right now and the direction it's headed. Yeah. If you go back to 2011, after that nine and four military bowl win Ralph's last year, going into uh, Ed Soul's first year, I'm going to guess that that's where you'll find that spot again. Todd, thanks for joining and giving and bringing back the non rev report to the young Terps podcast. And we'll talk to you next week. Okay, looking forward to it, Mason, and uh, I guess 210 is your lucky number. And it's great to have Todd on, bringing back the non-rev report. Now, I guess he's back, three straight episodes. I, I don't think we can name the podcast The Young Terps anymore. Uh, Wayne Viner's joining me. Terps 34, SMU 27, a crowd of 31,194 uh, at the last game at Maryland Stadium, or I guess Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium. Both uh, of those names will be retired, and we'll get to watch it from the C, CQ Stadium, starting October 1st. And, well, at least Maryland will be wearing the real Maryland football uniforms then.
at 3.30, the Sparty comes to town. So that's going to be good. You want to talk about the good stuff or the bad stuff? I, I got a list of both of them. I, I don't really know where to start. but uh, I'll give you a good one. The students packed it in, man. Those students were there. They were loud. They were proud. It looked great. If you looked in the right spot from the field, it took the right pictures. It looked like a sellout. It did, and they did a nice job on TV of, of showing that on the rewatch. So, But if you looked in the upper deck, oh my whoo, God. there was nobody there. They don't even need the so, upper deck anymore. Well, I guess that's, that's a good place to start. It's, it's down the list of my topics, but you always find a way to uh, bring up the things from the bottom first. I, I go back. We're, we're standing at the game. We're on the field. We're taking pictures of the game. And I'm looking around, and, and I'm like, do they ever – is this stadium just too big? Like what? What is kind of going on here? And you say, you know, back, back, not even that long ago, it used to be not a hard ticket to get, but it used to be an event. You know, Maryland football was. So I started going back to the box scores, and I started around like 2002. And I'm watching the NFL yesterday. I'm just kind of paging through games. By the way, for those of you that don't know, I know Todd, who is just on here, is a a big proponent of this. The record-keeping on umterps.com is absolutely atrocious. You'll click, like, game recap or box score from games in, like, 2008, and they don't have anything. They let you go to a page. They don't even have a 404 error. Well, they you should just ju- find a blank page. They should just call me. I probably remember the game. Yeah, I was I there. And you could probably build a better website, too. But it's... it's Okay, but back it's to your not, crowds yeah. here. There was a time where Maryland averaged, and it's in their game notes from that, where Maryland had a season, I think it's 2004 or 2003, where the average crowd per game was 50,593. Yeah, but they won, and it was cool, and Ralph was there. They'd gone to the Orange Bowl, and, and they actually had legit momentum. The basketball team was great. The football team was really good, and, and it was the pick-your-poison time. And it was, and you go into it, and you find like 2008 all right maryland well maybe it wasn't 2008 it's 2007 maryland beats matt ryan that year was that 2000 yeah 2007 2008 is one well, of the yeah, last whatever, whatever it was yeah it was cold out yeah maryland's playing the number 12 team in the country or number eight or whatever they were sold out you know the next year you know maryland's playing a decent team they're playing rutgers at home Forty-five thousand. you go all the way to dj durkin's first year now there are some bad crowds in Randy Etzel time uh, full pay the respect that's due to Randy Etzel's tenure at Maryland that there. game against Boston College in October and it was snowing raining and there yeah, were literally tens there of were, people yeah, there. there was 400 people there maybe it was bad Maryland's playing Purdue it's homecoming you know Maryland's undefeated at the time 42,000 over the last year since the pandemic to now college football on average has dropped crowds across the country about Eight to 10,000 people per game. So if you look at it, 10 years ago, Maryland probably gets a crowd of 38 to 41,000. Now it's down to 31,000 and the tickets are $2 on StubHub. And it's not a price problem. It's not really a parking problem. Getting into campus, we went early tailgate party, old line tailgate, great time. Um, Actually, that was epic, but we're not going to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we're not going to talk about it. Todd talked about it a little bit, but we're not going to talk about it. Um, it, it, we're just not talking yeah, about it. Yeah, we're just we just we'll we'll we'll, leave we'll talk about it later. Okay, yeah. move on. Um, it, it's not what it was. College sports, these big games, big 
big stages, night, day, doesn't matter. Just not getting fans anymore. I don't have anything to add. It used to be there were great games there. I'm talking about back in the in the Duffner years, there were great games there. People showed up. You go back but before that. But this was a that. good game. It's not, it's not a problem with the game. It's a problem that people just don't want to go anymore. And you need to sell the idea because we have people, and to keep plugging it over and over again, Ben Page's old line tailgate. It's a great, great environment. You pay your $20, all you can drink, all you can eat. A lot of friendly Maryland fans around. There's groups of, you know, tailgaters all around, college-age kids, all the way up to old people that go out there. But it's what's left of it. It's not what it once was. I'll tell you where that is most apparent is you walk through that parking lot. There's lot one on a football Saturday, and there's empty spots all over the place. There were no empty spots in lot one and lot 1D. Taws, the other parking lot, the one behind uh, the soccer. It was packed. And all those churches uh, along the road there used to sell a lot of parking. And people parked all over 198 or 194, whatever the roads are. 193. 193. Yeah. All over the place. I remember going back in the 70s and having to park out there outside of campus and having to walk to a game. Maryland played West Virginia. And all that's gone. The the people just aren't there. It's like that maybe once a year. And, you know, people still park off campus because Maryland really gets you with the parking now. But it's just – it's not not what it was. Sports attendance in, but for whatever reason, it just isn't well, what it once was. Have you was. been to an Oriole game? And, and that's not what it. I oh mean, my God, no, that's not what it was. Yeah, there's we empty Oriole seats. Games, there's thirteen thousand people there. Empty seats everywhere. So it's not really a topic in, in like we have any idea of what to do. It's just a shame that it, we're to a point where if Maryland could afford it. They'd buy tarps like they're the Jacksonville Jaguars and just the Jaguars cover, got rid of that though and they cover did. the upper deck in well, tarps. Well, no, if they had money, they would blow the upper deck off the stadium, but and rebuild well, you, something. You different. might need it again. You see, but, one of the but things you don't, you don't need a forty-row upper deck. That upper deck belongs on a hundred-thousand-seat stadium. Well, you know, you can see either Alaska or the Washington Monument from up there. I'll go with the Washington Monument today. From the top of that. Yeah, but whatever, you can see it or not. You can't see the damn game from up there. <laughs> well, so the, it's it's not not good. It's, it's not good. I'm, one of my topics, and I brought it up before, is that when we did this deal to go to the Big Ten, we were promised by the powers that be that, for the most part, you're never going to have an empty stadium again because you're playing the Big Ten, and you're playing the Big Ten, and there's so many graduates of all these schools that live within 50 or 100 miles of College Park that every Big Ten game, it might not be Maryland fans, but that place is going to fill up. And you know what? It's not true, except for Ohio State, and Penn State always did that. And West Virginia, not Big Ten, but West Virginia always did that. So there is a way to fix this. It's probably not popular. Yeah, there's a way to fix it. And before we don't get to the game at all, it's to play a schedule of – Pitt, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Penn State, West Virginia, Navy. I mean, you just keep going. The places where the schools you can get to. And, yeah, there's a ton of Ohio State graduates around here. There's a ton of Michigan graduates. But I think what was really missed in that is when you go to a game in Iowa or you go to a game in Nebraska, you can go anywhere in the Midwest. The people that go to the games aren't necessarily graduates of those schools. 
they're people that are from the place that root for the team because their grandfather went there. And you know what? They haven't gone to school since they're a whatever. And they go to the game on Saturday. Yeah. The two people. I don't know if you can tell, but sometimes talking to you, it's like I'm talking to myself in a mirror. But if you even if you look at it, the people that that go to these games the most, and we'll throw Todd as one of them who was on the show earlier. Our, our guys that we've gone to the games with, they didn't go to Maryland. No, but their dad did, or somebody else yeah, did. Somebody Took them else to the games, did. and they go. Uh, to the... A couple of people that we've run into two in business. They didn't go to Maryland, but they had season tickets to Maryland football at one point. Yeah, they, they went did. to Frostburg, but they're a big Maryland fan. You look at it, and those are the people that Maryland has lost. They don't have that that hold. When they're good, they may get a lot of those people to go to a game or buy season tickets because they want to sit somewhere good and watch a f- great football game, but. Those are the people that Maryland's lost. Did, did you say great football game? It wasn't a great football game. No. I, I don't know. It was a good win for Maryland. A win is a win. I've had so many people say, oh, they won. They watched the postgame show up on TerpTalk.com where we were a little bit lukewarm, and I still am a little well, bit lukewarm at, on that win. By the time of the postgame show, which was about 1230 Sunday morning, it was uh, n- not too much energy left, but – Game starts off a little bit slower than I think a lot of people expected. SMU drives down the field. Maryland gets a fourth down stop, which turns out to be huge in the game. And I think that analytics, which seems to be just, I think it's just at this point a buzzword thrown around to to cover mistakes. Cover mistakes. Yeah. Um, I guess were used by SMU at that point. They wanted to score a touchdown. Uh, the Ponies wrap up the first quarter. Oh. They lead six to three, and. At this point, I think that we're, we see this common combination between two non-conference uh, opponents that both are can score a lot where there just aren't that many points. But it got started. Uh, throw a couple stats out. Maryland on the game, 16 first downs. They get 225 yards rushing. Leah goes 17 for 23 for 214, two touchdowns passing. SMU, on the other hand, gets 30 first downs on the game. They run the ball 42 times total, 151 yards, 26 or 29 of 54 passing, 309, three touchdowns, five first downs for Maryland penalties, and they go two for five on fourth down in the game. Turnovers? Uh, Maryland turns the ball over once. Colby McDonald, or twice, Ty Felton and Colby McDonald oh, fumble. Uh, SMU turns it over three times. At least three times. The quarterback fumbles two interceptions. They go for it on fourth down twice and don't make it. That's not really counted. Three times. They went three times? Yeah, two for five. On oh, they also went in the end zone. Right. Right, right. Yep. Three times. Uh, look, the one thing you didn't bring up, I don't have the stats in front of me. You have all this. 96 offensive plays for SMU, 61 for Maryland Ralph. Uh, Mike Loxley keeps talking about needing balance and how many snaps Maryland needs to dominate the game. Maryland didn't hit, and I know we're in the second quarter, beginning of the second quarter, where Maryland gives up a touchdown to Maryland? Is that when Maryland yeah, scored RJ on Maryland? Maryland. Yeah. RJ Maryland scores at 13 to 3. I am having a a crisis of confidence. I expect big results. I don't have big faith for some reason, even without faith in this in what's going on because of the penalties and the fact that it just hasn't clicked yet. I I still think Maryland's going to find a way to win seven or eight games. And Saturday night was one of those, but at thirteen to three, I was starting to have some problems. 
I think you and a lot of a lot of people, a lot of the thirty one thousand that were there. And by the way, they say that thirty one thousand people are at that game. I buy that basically thirty one thousand people showed up. That that's one thing that I didn't think we talked about is the sold ticket number and actual people that show up are about true at this point. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you and it, it's it was a challenging uh, debacle to watch at the beginning. I feel like that's a good word for it. But what this game shows, and I think the most important takeaway, the penalties, all that stuff, I'll throw out Todd's stat, Maryland's 10-6 and six in their last 16 games. Um, they've won their last seven games now, by the way. Um, you got to give them some credit. You do. Is There was absolutely no quit in that moment. Last year, the Demas injury and the Ty Felton fumble are very different, but similar situation you're in in terms of the game and Maryland just folds last year and I was a lot better team a lot better defense than SMU did, had but if you look at it Maryland never they never quit in this game they could have they could have just folded wrapped it up packed it in gone home whatever word you want to use they could have just quit they didn't though they kept playing the game they stayed in the system okay. they were a little bit slow at times but Okay, so it's thirteen to three. Maryland gets back in this game, and and you pointed out something uh, somewhere around a, a character trait of staying in this game. But one of the issues being that they were overly hyped to stay in the game, and that led them to when you start looking at these penalties, three third and ones you get a false start, a fourth and one you get a false start. Um, those and a couple of personal fouls and you say it's because they're trying too hard yeah and, and that comes from coaching in in my life coaching a team that i i feel like is at this point very similar to this maryland team that at one point knew knew what they could be but every time something went wrong they would get a personal foul they would say something stupid they were talking to the refs there was so much going around they were so amped and all they wanted to do was win but they didn't know how to win and that's when you look at the coach and the coach has to be that guy that says, we need to do it right. You got to go out there and you got to play the game right. Everything else that happens, sure, a guy steps on your foot if you're Jayshon Barham and he smacks the guy in the helmet. You can't do that. You got to be the bigger man. But it takes winning football games and actually buying into it and not just having a bunch of coaches, older guys tell you this is how it's done, damn it, and do it. It takes you understanding that, hey, I can't do that. I hurt the team. When I do something that's selfish like that, I have a negative impact on our ability to win. That's what only comes from playing. And really, in my opinion, you sometimes have to lose because you did that. Now, Maryland doesn't lose this game, and they should be happy they didn't. But when it comes down to plays like this, you have people that get overly invested in the game. they got to make the next play. got to make the next play. They don't think it all the way through and you do stupid things and that that's just part of becoming a better team and I know that there's a bunch of people out there that say blame the coaching and it's been four years of this yeah four years of this was what results you have to have some guys in there that feel like whether I do something stupid or not we're going to lose because we suck well you start to get rid of those people when you start to win football games and people start to buy into the culture that you're trying to sell but it is it's hard to sell a culture when you're losing games the way that Maryland's lost some of these games but they're winning, finally. The talent level, despite those issues, the talent level is starting to to build to a point where you can have 
and somebody said they had 15 penalties. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I think they had 20 penalties. They only accepted 15 of them. It, it could have been worse. When you give up 150 yards in penalties and you still beat a team that can throw the ball like SMU did, there's something good going on here. There's some, yeah, they're undisciplined. Yeah, they haven't played anybody really big to beat. That changes on Saturday. I mean, you go Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, Indiana. You, know, you got Northwestern not having a great season. And then you run into another buzzsaw of at Wisconsin, at Penn State, Ohio State at home, and Rutgers at home. You got a chance to really do something. Some of those teams I just called out are having their own issues. Well, every team has their own issues. Yeah, but serious. I mean, Northwestern's yeah. having serious issues. Indiana and Northwestern and Purdue are having some 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 big boy problems in terms of the athletic department has to be looking at it. So there's a chance here, if you don't implode, that you can go through a season where you have eight, nine, ten penalties in Big Ten play, and because your talent well, level is on. where it is, hold on, they don't need they don't need to get that many penalties. You don't need the false starts or just guys getting amped up and not, not doing it right, not not hearing it. I'm and, not saying you need the penalties. I'm saying that because of your talent level and because of the teams you're playing are not having great seasons, you don't need to get this down to zero penalties. You just need to do a better job. Next week has to be better. At Michigan has to be better. It doesn't mean they're going to win, but there's a chance here to to improve slightly and come out of this with seven or eight wins. I, I agree with that, and there's many points to be argued on what you just said, which is, better or not, there's a difference between playing winning football and doing this. If you play like this, you're never gonna really going to win anything. But what is the goal here? I think that that's a, a really fair and important point. You just said it. Have an opportunity to win eight games. You're looking down the schedule list. Wisconsin can't score. Northwestern, if they played like they did last week, they just they are not a good football team. Indiana can't stop anybody on defense. Wisconsin, if you put up 28, you'll probably win. Purdue cannot play with a lead Purdue because can't they can't finish. run they can't run the ball they can't at finish all. The game. Yeah. They can't finish the game. That's five right there. That's a chance at eight. And really, do you know how good Penn State is? Sean Clifford gets hurt, it looks like their season's over. You know, they they're on that edge of whether they can be really good or whether they're going to be like the James Franklin 8 and 4 and they're ranked like 23 at the end of the season and they win the Citrus Bowl again and they're ready to fire him even though they just gave him a 10-year contract. There's a lot to look ahead to, but you got to focus on what's next. you got to focus on what you can fix. They're still building a program. And for Michael Oxley and for this team, when you look down who's playing, building a program, they got to win. You almost look at the roster and the age of the guys, and you're like, well, damn, we got to win now. Well, half of the guys are redshirt seniors or seniors, and half of the guys are freshmen or sophomore, and there's not a lot in the middle. Mike said that. But somehow, by halftime, after being down 13-3, to what was your halftime score? 17-20. And somehow, with this defense being picked apart, people screaming they didn't bring enough pressure, they couldn't cover anybody, every time they threw the ball was a pass interference penalty, Maryland only gives up seven points in the second half. And whether you thought SMU was any good or not, that quarterback and those receivers, man, they, they got something there at SMU. Yeah, Rice can really play. I, I wasn't too impressed with Tanner Mordecai. Um, I almost got hit by a pass. Yeah, you almost got hit by the ball. Um, he just was off. I mean, when Maryland got in his face, he was not a good quarterback. He looked, actually reminded me a lot of the guy that we have playing for us. Yeah, I, I'm not overly 
impressed with Leah in the pocket. They, they did some things with Leah that I wish they would have done on purpose before. That sort of option run pitch to Corey Deitches that ends up being a touchdown. That's some inventive stuff. But I've that seen was a busted play, I've according s- to the players. I've seen too much splitting the field in half on purpose to get him to be able to see down the field. I'm starting to have concerns that when he stays in the pocket, he just can't see. If the if the rush is coming at him, he's got trouble looking over that and making the play. Maryland's route combinations, and we pointed out during the game w- with you that some of these route combinations spring guys open, and when it's on time, it's beautiful. It is, and when it's off time, it's it's messed up. Well, they hit one. They hit one, and then they drop the other one. Jarrett right. catches that ball, he scores. Demas drops that like forty-yard pass, and you're saying, like, "What has happened to this guy?" But it it happens. That that's the point that I think needs to be emphasized with this offense and why you might not see these guys drafted as high as you think you should is it's all system. It's system, it's timing, and they're not really beating guys one-on-one. They're schemed into areas, and that's completely fine. This is a college football offense. I would love to see Maryland, Jacob Copeland. They're running press man. It's like second and three, a real scenario from the game. Maryland's got Demas on one side, Copeland on the other, and Jarrett's in the slot. They're playing off Jarrett. They got pressed man on the outside. Safety, one safety over the top. They're bringing guys down. They're trying to get downhill pressure. They think Maryland's going to run the ball. Why do we not see a three-step drop where I'm putting the ball 40 yards or 30 yards out there? Let my guy go up and make a play. This team legitimately has four, four, I think, developed NFL wide receivers right now, guys that are going to play. And then I think Felton Smith, like, you you look down the list, there's a lot of talent in that room. Why Maryland doesn't throw the one-on-one ball? Doesn't think that Jacob Copeland can beat a guy from SMU? They took one shot at it in Charlotte, and it got intercepted, and they haven't gone back to it. And I think as much as, well, a lot of people thought I was a hater when I said that Leah was going to throw three or more interceptions against Iowa last year. The pressure got to him, and he put the ball up. I'm seeing the same guy, and I think on Saturday you're going to see the same guy. They may do some things, you know, that slide plays out to the right, finding the tight ends over the middle, things you can do with a quarterback, but we, this team has more than that. He's doing – he's playing the same game when we're standing there and we watch where they line up, and he says the ball's supposed to go here. And often if they switch the defense on him, he still puts the ball there. Right where he was pre-snap reading. He got caught on that against Buffalo through an interception where that was the problem. When you played Iowa, they were dropping the linebackers where they didn't usually play. He read off the formation, threw the ball to the spot it was supposed to be. It got picked off. So he, he understands where the ball's supposed to go. Sometimes he just throws it there anyhow. There's no post-snap read. And on those combo routes... We sat there and said, look at what they're doing, how they move the safety. When they use Roman Hemby as a pass catcher and they set him up outside of the receiver between the numbers and the sideline, it changes the coverage. But I think both of those long passes came off of that setup. It brought the safety in the box. They threw over the linebacker to the side of the safety. The guy's wide open. Yeah, he reminds me right now of the guy that you know is going to be a fantastic coach, but you kind of question how far he'll get as a football player. Okay. Fair enough. So let's go back to the good. When Maryland needed it, two things happened that, I'll go with three. Three things happened that stood out to me. One is they needed a first down. They go for it on fourth and five from about the 45 
late in the game. They throw it to Corey Deitches. It's he, fourth and nine. Fourth and nine. Or fourth and eight. They throw the ball to Corey Deitches. He's at least a yard short. He pulls the guy and the ball and himself for a yard and a half in one of the biggest he-man plays since Vernon Davis played tight end there. Th- that was 100% effort. Loved seeing that. Yeah, and we talked to him after the game. Uh, video on our Twitter at YoungTurp1, about 20 seconds on that play, and then full interview with Corey Deitches, uh up on TurpTalk.com. He just said, put it simple, he knew that he needed the yard and he was going to get the yard. I wanted to ask him how heavy that guy was because he carried him for a yard and a half. Yeah, I mean, that was a play that I don't think we've seen at Merrill in a long time. Now, Chigakonkwo made some plays like that. That tight end room, they got some men in there. They, they play extremely hard. And if you go back and you watch the game, the amount of times that Dupre and Deitches were used as blockers in the passing game as an extra guy off the edge and then tried to run into the flat. And even his touchdown run, Deitches, when he catches that ball behind the line of scrimmage and gets it, 100% effort plays, and that's what Maryland needs. They need guys that are going to make those plays. You want big effort? Once again, game on the line. Maryland goes to the running game, and that Big Ten pro offensive line dominates the game. I don't know why they don't do it more. I actually expect... um, If you're not here talking about the receivers and how they're supposed to throw the ball and other great talent... If you're just looking at this as playing football, you go, you know what? Let's run the ball. If they stop us, we can still throw the ball. Well, and we saw about 50 yards of that, and boy, was Hemby finishing. Hemby was finishing the run, and the next blocker that ran into the push the pile was Rock Jarrett. And then the offensive line got there. There's 100% commitment to moving the ball down the field. Well, I love that. And that's when you can look at this team against last year's team and say this is a better football team, is they can run the ball. They block the pass plays. They have a pocket, and unfortunately they got to work with the quarterback on stepping up in the pocket. He didn't really have the luxury of being able to do that the last two years. And we're in a better spot. I mean, if you just look at the numbers, 38 attempts for 225, you don't get much better than that. And they weren't breaking them for 60 yards a clip. It was just downhill running the ball. We could run the ball and get five yards. Well, I put a lot of those pictures in the postgame show, once again, turftalk.com. And you can see the the offensive line engagement. You can see the tight ends picking guys off. I love what they did there. And the last one of, I thought it was really cool, is when Maryland went back to dialing up the pressure as SMU needed to score. And Maryland stopped a team that was pretty good at throwing the ball from moving two fourth downs within a couple minutes of each other. They get the interceptions, most of that later. The defense... Back to your point where somebody could have just said, it's not our night, this guy's going to pick us apart all night, ends up doing pretty well. Some of the guys we had questions about had to play. You said Gavin Gibson? Yeah, looking down the list, Bo Braid leaves the team in tackles Saturday night, eight uh, for tackles for Bo, a big interception. For... Fifteen total. Eight solos, seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. eight, 15, seven. Yeah. yeah, so he gets eight solos. Barham's up there, he makes some big plays. Uh, you never love to see a safety being a leading tackler, but Maryland's using them a little bit differently. Uh, you go down Anthony Booker, our guy, big night for him. Gets a lot of run out there. Guy that I pointed out that, hey, he played. He's played big minutes. He can play for him again. He did a really good job uh, in the past game. Greg China Rose, great story on, on Greg Rose, if you haven't gotten to see it, uh, from Big Noon Kickoff last week about his life, how he got back to Maryland football and, and his success in that and his daughter. 
it was really, really, you don't really see much of these guys until they do features like that. And it was really good to see that one on Greg Rose. He makes a big play. Uh, our guy, Dante Trader, comes up with an interception late. Makes a big play for him. Another guy that's up there on the list of tackles. But a lot of different players, a lot of different positions go up and down that list with it. But it's coming. You know, Barham's a tackle behind Bo Braid. I'm still waiting. Still waiting for that week where that inside linebacker is going to lead this team of tackles. Um, you have to point it out. No Glenn Miller on the field. Very limited Dante Banks for Maryland. Dante in the Banks, half. right? Uh, till. Uh, still. Still. Yeah. yeah. With the club on the hand. Shout out to Ryan from Shell and Tell saying that he's got to just club that thing up and play. Maryland needs him, so he makes a makes an appearance for the Terps there, and and he does well. Tarheep still probably had his. I I mean, they throw the ball at him when he doesn't have the hand club. He didn't see many passes going his way. And the biggest concern right now for me on the defense, other than the penalties, is the fact that Jacorian Bennett, who's supposed to be Maryland's probably best corner this year, teams love throwing the ball at Jacorian Bennett. Well, I think Jacorian Bennett takes chances on this stuff. and, and look, it, It's early. they got to throw the ball on somebody. I guess they picked him. Uh, you pointed out during the game that in some of these formations, between the 3-4 and the 4-3, what they're doing, uh, you see Tyler Baylor trying to cover somebody. 15 yards downfield you see zero china rose trying to cover somebody downfield one of the things i didn't see and i didn't ask and maybe i will tomorrow in the presser is what's going on with vandarius cowan i, I thought he was somebody who was supposed to come in and play a lot of snaps he, he hasn't uh, hippolyte gets hurt we talked about guys who need to step up we didn't talk about spragans but we did mention gote uh what do you think of these guys stepping in and, yeah, and they seemed ready to go. I, I like the coaching on it, which was Gote, who's coming off an injury. I don't really think they got much of him in, or any of them in spring ball. And he was hurt again in fall camp this year. So the guy has missed a lot of time. I think that when this game mattered, you know, we see Caleb Wheatland kind of step into that spot. Spraggins, the guy who played a lot last year, and Gote were the ones who ended up getting the time. And Ahmed McCullough. And I think that those three guys are the right move at this point. I would have loved to see Caleb Wheatland in there. But, look, we have guys with real experience on the bench. Those guys got to play when a guy goes down. And I think when you mentioned Vandarius Cowan, look, they gave him an opportunity. He played a lot of lot of snaps against Buffalo. And he played a fair amount against Charlotte. And they didn't see anything from him. So let's give somebody else a chance. Austin Fontaine, you know, step up. Who, who's going to? Who's going to own some of these positions in this defense is what they're looking for. Well, and it. I think Baylor is a guy that if you're going to drop a defensive lineman-sized guy into coverage, he's not a bad choice. And he did a good job at certain times of the game, but it's one of those things where you're looking at it and you're like, "What? this guy's listed as a defensive lineman on our depth chart. Why is he playing well, you know coverage why. against a wide receiver? Yeah, they're, they're flipping the formation. They're sending the safety or the corner off the other right. side, and he's the float back guy. Right. And they'd say, if, if you can't get there by the count of three, we're in trouble, but we're going to blitz the other side. We're going to blitz the field side. He's covering boundary, and you got to get home. And, and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they didn't. But I like the pressure look. I think this, this is clear. It's becoming clear. We'll see what the coaching looks like on Saturday. That you got to blitz. You're not going to live bringing three guys or bringing four guys 
and trying to have our guys hang in coverage for five seconds. It's just not happening. We don't have the guys. But as that game wore on, and I know we got to talk a little bit about next week, as this game wore on, the the rush three cover eight zone, uh, I know the receiver from SMU slipped or didn't get where he was supposed to get on time, and it worked. They, they throw the ball into the middle. It was a high risk. It's the flying circus of the Pony Express, and enough turnovers were created that Maryland lives to fight another day. And uh, once again, it's a, a, a coaching trademark, but hey, it's hard to win at any level. We go back, ask Michigan State, ask Notre Dame. Maryland's on a run here. It just could be tighter. It could be better. It, it could have been better, but look, I, I, like everybody else, likes to look at these games and judge them a lot, especially right after they happen. I've watched this game back and I've had a couple days now to think about it. Maryland doesn't win this game when Loxley takes over. Maryland might not win this game last year. The fact they didn't quit counts for something, given where we've been as of recent. And, look, it wasn't wasn't the offense that Maryland really wanted to play. 17 for 23, a, a mediocre passing game for Maryland. I cannot believe that I'm saying that. 17 for 23 for 214, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And people are complaining. But, yeah. You, it, 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 I mean, it's... But you know why they're complaining. They put up a lot of yards. They win the game in the end. Would you care if they came out against Michigan and ran the ball for 300 yards, threw it for 100, and won the game? Hell no. Of course. I mean, that right now, looking at the team, as I said, as a just a football guy, not a Maryland fan, like, hey, these guys can run the ball. They got to rely. I think there's a reliable running game here. We didn't talk about Littleton, but he comes in and scores. They still playing Ramon Brown. Cully McDonald got hit, and many people would have fumbled on that hit. They got four guys who can actually run the football. Well, I don't know about Brown yet. Okay, they got three guys who can run the football, and the quarterback, when he puts his mind to it and stops being skittish, can run the football. You got a tight end the size of an offensive lineman. Run run the ball and then work off of that. And a fullback. You got Listen a real fullback. I am, I am so happy that Maryland has a fullback. For the longest time, we've needed a fullback around here. But... Uh, is it Joseph Burns? Is he 35 or 38? Yeah, 35. That guy hits some people. That guy's a football player. He's clearing people out when they're running the ball. I think you're breaking he, a sweat over there. He needs – that guy's got to be on the field. When you watch this team play and they go out there and they hit people, you're like, this, this is the offense that Mike Loxley wants to run. All the motion stuff, and yeah, that's that's Loxley. That is, that is. But if you go back and you look at what they did at Alabama, and you look at what they how they played, I'm not saying that Maryland <laughs> is Alabama, but if you look at the scheme that they ran at Alabama, and you look at the way they've been playing now, those two things, 17 for 23 for 214, that's a lot more similar to the numbers that Tua was putting up when they were playing tight games than trying to throw the ball for 400 yards and five touchdowns. This team has taken a step forward in in one way and backwards in another, and it's really hard to tell, and I think this week's the test of whether you can see if they've actually gotten any better or not. Okay, so what does better mean? Well, the score was 59-18 to last year, and I don't think Michigan's gotten much worse. And it was 59-18, to and it was not very close. Does Maryland, athletically, with the guys they play, 
match up any better than they did before. I would have to say so. I mean, if you look at where Maryland was in terms of injuries at the point they played Michigan last year and where they are now, I mean, think about it. No, no, uh, Barring what Hippolyte's status is, no big-time player for Maryland's gotten hurt yet. And running back's a lot better. The offensive line's better. We don't have a center that we're worried about snapping the ball over a quarterback's head at this point yet. Um, the defense, maybe they're a step back, uh, but it's hard to say. From Did, where? But well, I, I'm going to go forward because they, they can roll. Th- there's 20 guys who can actually play now. Well, they can play. We'll see on Saturday if, they're if they any can good. play at that level. Yeah. We'll see if they're any good, but they got 20 guys. They can play against SMU. So yeah, that, that's, that's all. Well, all you can do is talk about what you've seen. Do you know, because I asked you after Charlotte, do you know anything more? And you said no. Do you know anything yes. more? Yeah, I would say yes, but it's not really on the football field. Well, one thing on the football field, Maryland can actually run the ball. SMU is not a great defense, but if you look at the scheme and you look at the way Maryland's blocking, they can run the ball. You don't push guys on a team that wins eight to nine games every year, back five yards if you can't run the ball. I'll, I'll give that credit. Well, I, the character of the team is, I think, what you actually saw, which is, yeah, there were some stupid penalties, a lot of stupid penalties, and I could go on a rant about that. I think I already did on the show. But these guys aren't going to quit. They get punched in the mouth. They're down 14 nothing next week or this week. I don't think they're quitting. They might get down 28 nothing and fold, but I think a lot of teams do. But the old Maryland just going to flop out there and could throw a wet noodle at them, and you'll probably beat Maryland on the football field. I don't, I don't see that coming. And look, it's a test. Michigan's a really good team, but there's no Ajobo. There's no Chris Jenkins out there. Maybe Chris Jenkins still is out there. Um, J.J. McCarthy's very untested football player. I mean, they, they're blowing people out, but they didn't play anybody either. They're blowing people out. Talk about a team that's played nobody. Colorado State, who at one point was good, that time's not now. Uh, Hawaii, I mean, they played three teams that ten years ago you would say they beat. Three Which is good probably when the teams. schedule was made. Yeah, ten years ago they beat Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. That is not impressive. No. Cade McNamara is hurt. I don't think he's going to be available. Um, and JJ McCarthy, while he's played some snaps against the big teams, if you get in this guy's face, I think you might force a close game, even if you don't score that much. If you can get in this guy's face, it's going to surprise me because the one place we haven't been great is the pass rush. I I, I think Maryland comes out there and, and slugs it out for a while. As we've said before, you generally don't go from getting walloped like Maryland has in several of these big games, to suddenly winning the game. The progress is that you go out here and you, you put up a good effort. I think we've said it before. You get the ball in the fourth quarter, a chance to cut it to one score, maybe you do. You don't need to win to be impressive. It wouldn't hurt, but you don't need to win to no, be impressive. You need to be in the game to be impressive. No, you don't need to really win. Um, you don't want to see, like, Blake Corum, is that how you say his name? Yes, it yeah. is. Tell I really it. like him. I think he's a really good player. Um, he actually seems like a nice kid, but we don't really know him. He could potentially run the ball for a lot of yards in this game, and you don't want to see him go off for like 305 touchdowns. You don't want to see J.J. McCarthy start breaking off 40-yard runs against you, because he definitely can. I think he did last year a little bit. And, look, Ronnie Bell's a really good Receiver. I mean, they, they got some really good players. They got some oh, good weapons on offense. There's a reason they're number four team in the country. And they have 
in my opinion, what's now become even a better offense post Josh Gaddis. I think the design of it's a lot better. I think it favors the running quarterback too. Yeah. And a defense that has been one of the best in the country since Harbaugh got there. Well, that that defense against this offense, if this offense is playing well, should be fun. Their offense against our defense, probably were at a disadvantage. You're going to have to play all three of your safeties. One of them's going to have to be a spy. You're going to lose some pass coverage because you got a spy. Hopefully, Deontay Banks, uh, Tarheeb Still, and Jacorian Bennett get locked on the receivers and have a a positive day. Yeah, that that's. But they're going to be a lot of one and one out there because they're going to have Maryland has to commit to stopping the run. Yeah, I think this is a big game for. I mean, I really hope that Glenn Miller is available for Maryland because I think that this is a perfect game for a star linebacker kind of position. By star, I mean hybrid linebacker, not star player. Um. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of man on man. You're you're going to put yourselves in those opportunities and those situations. There's a couple plays that I think you'll see Maryland get exposed on. The running back wheel route, I think, will uh, bring yep. itself out. If Ahmed McCullough's out there, I think anybody can highlight him on film and run that play against him. He's just not not fast left to right enough well, for that. Well, that play and you're going to blitz a lot of guys. You're going to bring a lot of guys downfield, and that's the perfect exit route. I mean, if for the Commanders fans that's out there, Curtis yep. Samuel scored on the same kind of play. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's been a problem for Maryland before. You fake it tailback. The linebacker stops for one second in the in the hole and then has to back out, turn, and go find the tailback who's coming around the offense and just can't get there in time. Yeah, and, and the spot where I think Maryland hurts the most in this game is Maryland does not have legitimate inside linebackers yet. And I think I say it week in and week out on the show. That's just such a, that that spot defines your defense. And Maryland's just not there yet. Barham it will be there if he sticks around with Maryland. I think Wheatland will be there if he sticks around with Maryland. They're doing a great job of recruiting guys to play that, but it doesn't help you today. And that's what Maryland needs. They need guys that are ready to go today. And they, they're they going to have guys that I think beat Northwestern, beat Indiana, can beat Purdue, can beat Michigan State, but they're not going to have the guys that will beat the number four team in the country. Even though on Saturday, I'm going to regret saying this, you don't need to win the game to be impressive. You need to stay in the game. We need to establish a track record at Maryland, a football culture, from the tailgating to people show up to the games to saying when we play a number four team or an Ohio State comes to College Park, we're going to be in the game. And if you're in enough of them, then maybe you can win one. But you well, can't I, I go think... from 60-3 to three to winning the game. Usually it doesn't happen. The closest we got was against Ohio State a few years ago when the game went to overtime. I think the word that you're looking for is like the culture that Purdue has, which is if you come into Purdue and at night and you go to Purdue, you're scared that you're going to lose that game. You're scared that if you make a mistake, the crowd's going to get into it and you're going to slip up and you're going to lose. Look, That's what we're looking for. Yeah, and but we it, had it for a little while with Ralph Rage, and we had it with Bobby Ross, certainly had it with, with Claiborne. It's a long time ago. We need to get that back. And finding that's going to be going to be the key. Um I just – Michigan is a really, really talented team, and I just don't think we're quite there yet. Uh, winding it down, I mean, Michigan opens. So, the last, last point is Michigan opens as a 16.5-point favorite, which I was absolutely stunned about. I don't know about you. It's not a big enough number. It's not a big enough number. I, I'm not betting against Maryland, but if I did, <laughs> I'd I give the 16.5. It, it's up to close to 19 now, so early money's on Michigan. I still think 19 might be light. I mean, I just 
my biggest problem with Maryland is they don't have linebackers on defense. And I, as somebody that watches football with a more analytical mind than I think the average person, and that has watched this team for a long time, I am not bought in on the quarterbacking of Maryland. And I hope that I am wrong come this show next week. I don't think I will be. Michigan 45, uh, Maryland 24. Is it close? And then they pull away, or, or is it Maryland's down 30 to, to 7? No, I, gets... I think you see the game, and it goes 7 uh, nothing Maryland, 7-7, 14-7 Michigan, 21-7 Michigan, 21-14, halftime. You're in the game. Maybe it's 28-14, they get a late touchdown. There's going to be opportunities. I will say, that is my final score prediction. There will be opportunities for the game to be a lot closer than that. I just don't think Maryland's able to convert okay. on them. But before I get to mine, are you happy when that game's over? Or are we throwing things? Um, I, I'm not going to say we're throwing things uh, in the living room. No. I think that's going to be disappointment because you're like, damn it, we could have we could have done something today. And... You kind of get that that feeling where you're like, if we just made one or two more plays, this would have been a completely different game, but we just don't make it. It yeah. just doesn't happen yet. Um, but that's a step in the right direction, at least in, in, in my literal book that I'm holding up right now. He does it's have a the lot book. like the Michigan State game last year. He does have the book. Uh, Maryland finds a way to stay in the game. They have a chance to get it to, to one score. It just doesn't, for whatever the reason, doesn't happen. In usual Maryland fashion, the ball gets snapped over somebody's head. Ball hits somebody in the helmet, gets intercepted. Your usual you know, they decide to go for two when they could make it a seven-point game instead of a, a nine-point game. Right. Uh, we didn't bring up that Chad Ryland's our MVP at the moment. No, we didn't. But, but And now we did. So, you know, we were going to talk about the epic tailgate party, but it looks like we're out of time. If you want to know what that looks like, you can come out and see it for yourself at the Michigan State game. Yeah, 3.30. Maryland will take on Michigan State. Already looking like a bigger than 31,000 uh, seat crowd. For those of you that actually care about Maryland's attendance, i got to shout one more thing out. Uh, there's a website out there made by a poster on a couple of the Maryland fan boards that are out there called MarylandWillWin.com, and they pull all the ticket data from UM Terp, so you can see how many tickets are sold, the way that they release the tickets, which if you're a Maryland fan and you actually look, they, they try and make it appear like the tickets are more scarce than they actually are on the website. Very interesting thing for those of you that follow uh, Maryland fans, the the way that you probably do if you're listening to this podcast. But if you're still listening to this show... What? It's only an hour and two minutes. You know, if Bruce can ramble <laughs> this long, so can I. But uh, make sure to check out all of our coverage post-game show uh, after the game on Saturday, I guess, yeah, on our YouTube channel. And you can check all of uh, Terp Talk's content out on TerpTalk.com, Wayne Terp YouTube channel. And, of course, uh, give us a follow on social media if you haven't, at YoungTerp1. And as always, thanks for listening.